0: Hello and welcome to another episode of New Narrative's Political Agenda with me PJ Thumb and today we welcome Charles Yeo, lawyer and chairman of the Reform Party. As always if you enjoy the interview you're about to hear please do check out New Narrative at newnarrative.com. You can learn more about us at newnarrative.com hello and if you'd like to join as a member newnarrative.com join or if you'd like to donate to support our movement newnarrative.com donate. So, I am wearing a green, yellow, and grey batik shirt sitting in front of a map of Southeast Asia with two other men around a black table. And uh, my pronouns are he and him. Joining us today, as always, my co-host, editor-in-chief of Wake Up Singapore, Sean Francis Han. Hello, Sean. How are you? Hey, good to be here. Um, yeah, I'm quite
1: excited. We've got the man, the myth, the legend, Charles Yeo himself. Uh, so, I'm yeah, I'm really excited to get into this, right? the the It's one of those... Episodes where we're doing something different, right? We are talking to somebody um, in a political party, right? So that's that's kind of a change of pace, and I'm quite excited to get into this. Uh, but before we do, I'm wearing a white striped shirt, uh, green pants, and uh, my pronouns are he/him. Charles, take it away. Hello, guys. I am wearing a white shirt with
2: a pair of jeans, and my pronouns are uh, he and him. So we shall now begin the interview. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I just last things. All right. Honor.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Okay, Charles. So if there's anyone in Singapore who has not heard of you, why don't you start by introducing yourself to our audience? Who you are and what you do. I am a lawyer by profession.
2: I am thirty years old. I am currently an equity partner at the law firm of Whitefield Law Corporation. I. I'm also a political activist, but I would not describe myself as a politician. In the course of the interview later, I would try to describe or explain the distinction. And other than that, I mean, I, I'm really just average Joe
1: on the street. All right. So can you tell us a bit about like, why you got into politics in the first place? Like what was the spark? What was the impetus that led you here? How did you get into um, the Reform Party? Or running as a candidate more broadly, right because I think a lot of a lot of people you know they they go through this process where they get um, they have this political awakening and there's so many options to choose, right you know you could join a cause, you could join an NGO, you could be kind of like raising awareness on social media, but you took that step to go into a political party and run as a candidate so why why was that the move there what what led you there what what led me, me there was that? In, in Singapore, um, when I
2: in, in the UK I did very I did well in Islam, Islamic law and of course my point of reference was uh, a professor called Shaheen Sada Ali that was uh, one of uh, a minister the first woman minister in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So she actually wrote a, a, a at that point in time, I actually only applied to three law firms in Singapore. Uh, actually to be honest, I think to, we can say it is only... I applied to Peter Lowe and to Ravi. Mm. Now, the common similarity between the two law firms is, of course, they, they practice prime uh, public interest litigation. At that point in time, since since that happened, um, the law firm of Eugene Turasingham has become a, a third uh, player in the scene. And I mean, in, in the sense that it has taken up a lot of all these con and cases. But I only did these two... Um, I was only interested in these two firms so fast forwarding the link to your question is that um, of course as people know uh, Ravi was he in 2015 I volunteered with the reform party and and attended as its supporter because Mm -hmm. Ravi was my PTC mentor and I I, of course this is nothing to do with the PTC but I actually consider the concept of mentorship is very important Mm -hmm. and I agree Largely with a lot of what Ravi has on a human level. Mm-hmm. That is where I, I would say that he was him who introduced me in a way to the Reform Party. And I, I think viewers will be able to simply, uh, you know, the, the link between Ravi and the Reform Party is that Ravi stood as a candidate in, for the Reform Party in 2015. Mm -hmm. Yeah So I was uh, Summary is You know I really volunteered The Reform Party From 2015 Ravi introduced me To Reform Party I found that I agree with a lot Of their ideas And I just Worked my way My way up Like anyone else In any other organisation
0: Yeah Can I just clarify PTC For PTC
2: refers to The practice training contract Which is A requirement Imposed By the the legal framework in Singapore before anyone to qualify as a lawyer.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you you uh, then worked with Ravi at Violet Nettles, was it? And then you helped him out, you volunteered, you attended the Reform Party rallies and events in 2015 when he stood. Yeah. And then at what point did you formally decide you want to join the party?
2: I decided I w- want to join the party only in 2018. Right. Mm-hmm. Late, late 2018. But I, ideologically I was always in fact way before 2015 in fact uh, mm-hmm. we. Ha- I would mm-hmm. like to draw the distinction between of course turning up at the party's rallies does not automatically make you a member but even in 2011 I did turn up at some reform party at e- e rallies mm-hmm. and I did you know uh, of course post on social media extensively to support the reform party and also many other of oper- uh, and also, of course, uh, at that time the SDP la, I have always identified as a supporter of the SDP, um, and to put forward my ideas on, on uh, many issues, which chief of which at the time of twenty eleven was of course the issue of immigration.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean beyond that though, you know, what are the core values, the core ideas of the reform party that speak to you in a way that no other party's manifestos or core values speak to you, right? Yeah. I'm sure every party has kind of its own history. They have their own strengths, their own weaknesses. They have um, charismatic and capable people there. Um, yeah, But what, what is that X factor, you know, in terms of core values, in terms of vision that RP has that made you choose them? The, the core values of RP okay, I will try to be
2: to the point and sum, to summarize. First mm-hmm. of all, the, the core value of the RP is that they emphasize on democratic accountability mm-hmm. and, and generally the emphasis on transparency. Now, now, the next thing is that the unique thing about the RP is that amongst all the other political parties in Singapore, there isn't a cadre system in the RP. Mm-hmm. The cardinal system has been criticised as the Pope elects the Cardinals and the Cardinals elects the Pope. So what does this mean? It basically means that for the benefit of the audience, uh, I, I think later on PJ may, go, may, may be much better at explaining it than I am. But the mm-hmm. idea is that you know a person at the top uh, chooses people whom he likes or who are inclined to support him and then they would support... Uh, you know, in turn, so it becomes a, a circular, self ratifying, uh, self sustaining system which is anathema to democracy. And mm-hmm. I saw that in the RP's constitution. The founder had, uh, had thought about this before he died and he knew that, you know, this is one of the issues that must be addressed. The founder also established that in the party there must be a democratic culture and all members must be able to speak out and even disagree with the SG. Mm -hmm. And the SG is not Secretary General. Secretary General is not a dictator in the party. And he would also uh, not be able to, he would have to draw an important distinction between himself Mm -hmm. and the party. And generally, there were safeguards that were implemented Mm -hmm. prior to the the founder staff.
0: Yeah. Oh, This is really interesting to me because, yeah. of course, in terms of the wider conception of the Reform Party in Singapore, there is a sense that it is very much Kenneth Jai Ratnam's party, right? Yeah. And that is very different from what you're describing, which is uh, a sort of internal culture of democracy and um, structures which try to preserve uh, internal party democracy. So why do you think there is this disconnect between the perception of the party as kind, of, you know, as as a as a Kenneth Jayaram vehicle, uh, akin to many other parties, which are also seen as a sort of one-man show. Um, and how do you, as the newly elected chairman, you've been chairman for uh, we're recording on thirty-first October, so what two months now, thereabouts? How how do um, you about plan about three? Yeah, about three. So, mm. yeah, how do you plan to change this? I I, I think first of all we. I would like to, you know, respectfully
2: disagree. Uh, perhaps a bit partially, but at the same time, I w- okay. What I'm trying to say is that, first of all, I think there is a culture of personality politics in Singapore. Definitely, it is agreed that uh, you know all the major po- political parties for for the longest time ever in Singapore's nascent, and of course, uh, many commentators have put forward the the the, proposi- the thesis that this was actually created first in time by the PAP because the PAP was run by the cult of Lee. And and since then the other political parties that grew up in the Singaporean framework. I I do agree that that with you uh Ms, Mr PJ that that there is a issue of the personality politics or the cult of personality.
0: I, I think ev- that's true mm. everywhere. I mean, to be fair, it's yeah. not mm. just a Singapore thing. You mm. look at yeah, the right. developed countries around the world or even non-democracies. You know, personality yeah. politics is is something consistent with human society rather than any country or any system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: But but I for me, I personally do not really think that this is an issue that is primarily uh, unique to the Reform Party that mm-hmm. it is because as much as the Reform Party could be said to be associated with Kenneth can we also say that the STP is associated with Dr. Chi mm-hmm. and Dr. Chi's uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 personal writings and theories can mm-hmm. we also say that for the longest time ever after Jay Ratnam that the Workers Party was associated with David Marshall at some time mm-hmm. J. Ratnam at some time mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. recently it was controlled I mean, if you look at the last
1: 25 years... Okay,
0: I mean, that's a fair point. And of mm. course, the PAP is still gripped by the specter of Lee Kuan Yew and yes, unable yes, to break yep. through. But, but your, your party
1: is one that's trying to do something different, right? Yeah. You're trying to break out of this yeah. one-man show, yeah. one guy rules everything. So how do you kind of square that, right? Yeah. yeah. For, for Okay, for me, the first answer would be that actually the public perception
2: is wrong because Kenneth is actually very democratic and he calls for all views and he is to... to to overall, he does not really uh, impose any of his ideas, and also he will call for regular party conferences whereby all people, uh, you know, all members of the party have a say so in, and we are able to disagree with him. And generally, he does not have an assertive personality that which is likely to make one inclined towards a dictatorial way of doing things in the first place. I would say that the the benevolence, uh, or rather, you know, the positive part about Kenneth's uh, uh, role in the party is really that he has to be, as the son of uh, you know J B, he has to continue to to in a way, for better or for worse, even if we do not use the 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 imperative word, he has, he would be associated with the 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 father's legacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He would also be considered uh, you know, a trustee of the legacy in a certain way. Mm-hmm. He would also be the one that is largely empowered to interpret the teachings of, uh, I mean the views of the, the father mm-hmm. in terms of what the father said and all that. But at the end of the day, of course, I'm not saying that whatever he says is accurate. But do we give him a presumption that he is given the fact that you know he was really conversant with the political motivations the the ideas the ideals that the father wrote when he was alive then should we not um, you know at the end of the day I think just evaluate whatever he says on the merits mm. and really uh, that would be about it on the merits we evaluate whatever he says and we want to move away from mm. uh, uh. uh a, a framework that that there is personality politics that's okay. where I agree with.
0: Okay, so have there been incidents within the CEC where actually a majority of the CEC disagreed with Kenneth and outvoted him on something?
2: The, the, actually, okay, the answer is
0: yes, but I okay. will not uh,
2: go into further Yeah, yeah of course, details. of course. Yeah, no, yeah, you, but yeah. but uh, the answer is really yes, there have been. And we... I think that to me, that really illustrates why I did not make a wrong decision to join the Reform Party. Mm-hmm. And I think we, I would like to conclude this part of the discussion to say that for me, the Reform Party is the nearest to a democratic structure in Singapore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Let, let, let's get let's get into sort of um, GE 2020, right? Yeah. So I just kind of want to get into your thoughts and reflections on that. I'm sure you've been asked to death about yeah. the GE 2020 situation, right? But I think one, one burning question that I had, right, and especially because you're like a thinker, you engage with theory, right? I want to kind of take an interesting sort of meta approach to this. You were, I think, at the forefront or at least very emblematic of how G-2020 was very, very different from previous elections. Right. So we all know the debacle where, you know, party members didn't show up, the whole Mandarin saga. Um, so, that, you know, that was mimified and that was in the viral sphere. But what was very interesting, though, is that you garnered a lot of support for that, for that fighting spirit, for that never give up attitude, right? A lot of young people began to sort of rally behind you. They started to kind of tune in, listen to you, get you on uh, Telegram, group chat, have these discussions, right? And even Ho Ching made a comment about yes, it. I yeah. was going to say that, yeah. 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 So um, I, to me, this this really marks how different this election was because in the past, I, 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 I dare say... Um, you know, this kind of thing, this not well-polished, this kind of very personable politics, you know, it would have been seen as like weak or bad, but now it's being taken as a real interpretation of that fighting spirit, that never give up, that never say die attitude, right? So I just wanna kinda of get your reflections on that, right? How, um, you know, from the inside, right? How was this election really, really different for you? Uh, first
2: of all I would like to you know I, I really agree with what you say, but mm-hmm. I would like to really explain the circumstances that led to the although I've explained it to death mm-hmm. la, the, the circumstances that led, led to the 2v5 uh, I can <laughs> one of a better V5, word is yeah. that is that uh, at that point in time one of the members was of course uh, the, the SG's under a stay home notice and mm-hmm. number number two uh, you know, really, for one of the other members was taken severely ill uh, at that point in time, which mm-hmm. is something that we—it's a medical emergency, like, You know, we really cannot do anything about this. Mm-hmm. And the the third member, uh, who, who, Mr. Andy too, he was, he was uh, at that time period of time because there were like a lot of physical constraints and a lot of, a lot of, uh. There's a lot of admin uh, and things that need to be done already. You know, mm-hmm. like to that, that's why I, I wanted to plead with all viewers to really understand that in Singapore to fight an election it's not just you know coming onto a video and talking, which I think mm-hmm. I have no issue to to do, and I think many people have no issue to do. But but it relates to Mister Sean's question because we cannot have meaningful reflections unless we think about the full gamut of things that are required to do that are required by a party to do in order to put up a meaningful fight mm-hmm. and one of them is donations plus physical men on the ground and labor and to hang up the posters and and you know do you know that uh you know constantly during the election we got a lot of messages asking where are the poster bo- posters and where are the banners but mm-hmm. do these commentators of course i sometimes i wanted to reply to them tersely and to explain to them do they know how long it takes to hang up one byte banner or rather the effort mm-hmm. have they even hang up uh, hung up a banner before in their life mm-hmm. and and one question is that that of course again we to a certain extent um, this illustrates the non-level playing field mm-hmm. that we go facing mm-hmm. but the answer is that Andy was uh, at the time hanging up the banners and he came late and by the time he came late he was not allowed to enter the studio mm-hmm. and and that leads to my personal reflections because for me I felt that I was not doing anything noble but just doing living my personal ethos out and mm. plus pers- people that know me personally they will know like whether you know in gaming in real life I'm a very very persistent character mm-hmm. I will not give up uh, and when we say not give up yeah I'm much more extreme than others like for example mm-hmm. um I think I, I I'm the sort of person that I'm not to me, I felt that, you know, I've turned up, I've committed to this. Mm-hmm. I have a responsibility to put across the message in Chinese, mm-hmm. even if I am not conversant in Chinese. Mm-hmm. And even if I, whatever difficulties I may face, because mm-hmm. that is the responsibility it is like, you know, uh, you you good you have to do it or or do you better mm-hmm. do it? La. If you yeah. cannot do it then it shows you have failed. Right. And you better do the best that you can mm-hmm. before you give up. And I I just humbly want to share that I think this is a very good mm-hmm. uh we, we we want society to start to have this thinking. Mm-hmm. Because if not, uh, then it will be it 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 will be a kind of defeatism and we mm-hmm. need to to the, the analogy I raised in a recent conversation, my friend, is Steve Irwin. Why was Steve Irwin so respected by people until the day... Because until the day he died, he literally died for the cause of animal conservation and animal rights awareness. Mm-hmm. He spent his own... If, if we are not able to even demonstrate these, uh, then it shows that whatever we said, whatever we have done, is for naught. Mm-hmm. It is, there is no point in in talking about uh, all this
1: so would you say that you are hopeful that this is emblematic the support of young voters and Singaporeans coming out to say you know what I like this guy's gusto you know it wasn't as prim and polished as as I would have liked or as I'm used to but it really shows that never say I die attitude do you think this is emblematic of sort of Singaporeans taking a new um, a new pair of lenses to politics to not demand so much that, oh, everything's nice and prim and proper, but that really that spirit and that the ideals are there and
0: lived. And and a sort of authenticity. Yeah. Because what we see from politicians, especially from PAP politicians, but also you see it from workers' party, extremely mm -hmm. polished, very well prepared, all the rough edges shined off, Mm -hmm. right? And to one extent, that's great, professionalism. But to another extent, you're like, are they, is that really mm-hmm. who they are? Yeah. Who is the person I'm actually voting for here? Mm-hmm. I want to see some genuine yeah. emotion, you know, and you are real, you're authentic. Yeah. So
1: I, I want to kind of get into your sort of unorthodox or very unique way of engaging the public. So you do a lot of Instagram live, you do Facebook posts, you do Instagram stories, you have a Telegram group, right? Where people can ask you questions, right? So. I kind of want to talk about that, right? You espouse a lot of philosophical and theoretical views there, right? And um, I think that's that's quite interesting, right? That shifts the direction of the conversation away from a conversation of pragmatics and then GDP, right? And towards the more deeper, more important theoretical underpinnings of the whole thing. So can you tell me some of the core ideas or the core theoretical insights that have guided you? The, the first core idea mm-hmm. is that
2: I really want to reject this idea of, you know, pragmatism in inverted commas. Because mm-hmm. to me, for the longest time ever, pragmatism is a byword. I put it in inverted commas or parentheses because... It is a byword for what is expedient or what is good in the interest of the dictator or the people on Mm top, the dictatorial bunch of people, okay? Mm -hmm. The next thing is that when we talk about pragmatism, who defines what is pragmatic? And it goes back to the other issue of the legitimacy of voices. It becomes a self-sustaining kind of system because whenever the people who are not able to speak up...
1: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, are not able to speak up, then their needs would be thereby classified as Hmm. non-pragmatic. A third important point is also, you know, really a philosophical issue which is even if it was non, of the interest of a few is not pragmatic, can we consign them to oblivion? And what is the balance that we must strike? Because if you look at the, the society of Singapore, a lot of times, people that are really very poor, they are left behind and the oldest, the, the, the state ideology in Xi'an for the longest time was to portray them as lazy, factless, and, or mentally incompetent. And in fact, the teachings of Lee Kuan Yew were very clearly of that view. And, and that is why he started to talk about eugenics. He, he believes that a person's ability generally to, you know... And, and I'm linking this really to the topic of... Uh, I'm linking this to the topic... That you ask, because I feel that we need to reject all these. And the first core value I have is that of the, the I mean, I just listed the first lot mm-hmm. The the rejection of of the the first would be the rejection of the people at the top. Their right to impose a uh, ideology that is in their own favor mm-hmm. under the guise of pragmatism. Mm-hmm. The second would be the replacement of that right mm-hmm. with the emphasis of every man's inherent dignity and inherent worth. The, mm. the key word is every man. Yeah. You see, that's why I, I return to early on, you know, in the discussion, the preamble that we had before the, the recording, we look at our peace constitution and the key word is that, that that the, 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 the key phrase, every time I, I, you know, discuss all these with the members, I always talk about like, you know, like the mission and vision of the party and all that. Mm-hmm. We have to emphasize the, the, the key word in the phrase, In the constitution of the party, that that it is every man. It is not every advocate and solicitor. It's Mm. not every doctor. Mm. It's not every refugee. It's not every hua chongian. It's not every person with net worth above thirty five
1: thousand. You know. You see,
2: the key word is every man, and of course, man must be interpreted in that context to mean every. Every human, la, you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you, it, it does not mean only every uh, uh, man, lah, la, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, if we understand the keyword there, we can then go on to discuss. So, what do we need to do? Do, the, if these are the two principles, right? Then the third thing must, of course, be we must flesh it out, la, mm-hmm. You know, like we talk about about. We really, at the end of the, the day. Pluralism is important. The reason why pluralism is important is because when there is no pluralism, then the economic growth is illusory because the economic growth goes into the pockets of the top mm-hmm. and trickle-down economics does not work. So the, can we say that the ideology of pragmatism is used to justify the self-serving ideology in the same way that the divine right of kings or the, the you know, religion in the past was used to legitimize the monarchy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to me, I find that these are like, it's no rocket science, you know. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have half a brain, uh, in fact, then we will be, then you will see like how the state wants to shut down people that are able to point out all these mm-hmm. through a few means. If their IQ is low or they came from a neighborhood school, then they will say that the person is dumb, does not know what to think, does not know how to conform. But if the person is from a good school and he still says this, then they will say, oh, the person is a troublemaker. or oh, the person is a... Uh, 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 he is a... Uh, uh, fake news then all these will come out that which of course PJ has scanned up before la, many yeah. times la. and yeah. then all sort of funny things that then after that uh, POFMA and fake news fail then they will, then the next thing they will say is uh, like against Reisa, they will say oh very rich uh, this person is very idle mm. then it could be in, in PJ's context they will give him the, the ultimate labour they will say that he is foreign agent <laughs> 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 he, he, he's acting under the interest uh, the, the, the instruction of Dr. M. Dr. M is passing him some money to, to, to do all this, which I have not gone yet, mm-hmm. you know. But the idea is that, you see, guys, now, I've tried to put this message in a funny way, way, but can we see that that I answer Sean's question because the core value is about delegitimizing. We want to remove this systemic delegitimization mm-hmm. of Voices, yeah, and th-
0: yeah, yeah. I, I think actually, there's a certain uh poeticism of the party of JBJ articulating this idea because, of course, these ideas were common currency in Singapore before the rise of JBJ, right? Mm-hmm. And when we talk about pragmatics, um, this is an ideology articulated very much by the PAP by Lee Kuan Yew since the 80s. When in the 60s and 70s, the PAP was oriented very much more as a socialist party, which was very much focused on maximizing the uh, potential and the um, livelihoods uh, of every Singaporean and articulate a far more uh, progressive stance towards uh, society and you know, um, was very much um, a left-wing socialist party in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, with the failures of policy in the late 70s and um, with the broader global circumstances leading to economic difficulties, along with the rise of um, ideologies of neoliberalism, and uh, in particular, with the election of JBJ, the PAP shifted from one where we're going to fundamentally reform society to make it better for every Singaporean to let's preserve the current order with the PAP on top. Mm. right? So now for the party of JBJ to come back and articulate this idea of uh, the importance of inherent human dignity of every individual, every person, every human being in Singapore, and let us work towards a society which treats everyone with dignity and maximizes uh, their self actualization that is actually you know, you know the very ideology that uh, the p a p abandoned in response to j v j so there 's a sort of historical poeticism here and and i'm i 'm very you know i 'm very amused by 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 it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i i want to
1: kind of get now into this recent movement that i 've been quite heartened by right so we have Raisa, she's mentions um, critical race theory. She mentions Angela Davis. You yourself um, often cite and espouse the ideas of theorists right, like Mark Fisher. Um, so I, I kind of want to know what are some of the key theoretical or philosophical ideas that you, know, you kind of have inspired you, that you kind of hold very dear, that have been crucial and fundamental to shaping the way that you think? The first concept that
2: has really shaped the way I think it's really about the importance of a Socratic education model. I okay. Say. Yeah. The Socratic education model comes from a point of view that the teacher has much to learn as well, and that the learning process the, the process of discussion or debate is what generates generates knowledge and mm-hmm. not purely a lateral uh, you know a top-down transfer from mm-hmm. the Knower to uh, one that does not know mm-hmm. and that stands in great opposition to the Confucianist model.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The Confucianist model was one that was advocated by Li Kuan Yu for the longest time. And if you look at the writings of Li Kuan Yu, he at least endorses. A, he was very enamored by by the Confucianist ethos generally, and he really believed that at the end of the day. He stands for the rejection of, of that kind of idea. Like he believes mm-hmm. that, you know, again, it goes back to the idea that there should be a pluralistic, mm-hmm. that there is a plurality of voices mm-hmm. because inherent in the Socratic notion of education is that are two ideas. The first is that, you know, through the process that you have to question people gently to make them realize mm-hmm. of their own accord rather mm-hmm. than to browbeat them. Mm-hmm. Second is that you have to in it is possible that the in the process of the questioning the teacher may have much to learn as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah that is the first the, mm-hmm. the 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 next idea i mean is is that where you kind of get that like um is that sort of like the philosophical justification for um the Instagram live sessions because you know you're you're bringing up Socrates and Plato, and there's that very dialectical back and forth discursive, yeah. rather than like i'm gonna just you know, download this information into your brain, please believe me. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's okay. So what yeah. What then, what's the second idea then? It's quite interesting because we're this, sort of seeing is, you come together Can I just now. also yeah.
0: jump in and point out, uh, Lee Kuan Yu's interpretation of Confucianism is not exactly Confucius' yes, interpretation yes, of Confucianism. Yes, yes. Of course, Confucianism is a very robust and flexible uh, yes. philosophical system that has been reinterpreted throughout yes. the, the decades, you know, mm-hmm. Mencius and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I do feel that Confucianism gets a bad rep because of its association of authoritarianism Whereas Confucius articulated a certain s- set of responsibilities that yeah. ran both ways, yeah. right? Yeah. Between the ruler and the rule, yeah. between the husband and the wife, the the parent and the child, that ran yeah. both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and authoritarianism focuses very much on a one-way relationship yeah. where you will yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to insert that mm-hmm. in. Yeah. So so. Go anyway, on.
2: I agree with PJ one hundred one percent. But we shall not go further into that because then we will digress. And I actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. really discussed about that at length and about how there mm-hmm. was a strange hybrid of Singapore that as uh, Chinese, uh, you know, Confu- the, the, that takes only the Confucianist part of uh, deference authority, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's hyper-capitalist, but doesn't have Western liberal values or the Chinese concept of the responsibility of the gene, you see. So that, that then, anyway, uh, it, I, I did bring up some of this in my mimified mm-hmm. fight speech. Right? So <laughs> anyway, we, we really will not go into that mm-hmm. today because mm-hmm. then, you know, it will
1: be, it's not res- it's not really the focus of yeah. today's interview so right? what I do want to get into is beyond the so- Socratic educative model right what, what what are the other ones you were kind of inching toward a second one the the second one would be the
2: concept of you know the historical inevitability, which is of course quite Marxist in nature la, but of mm. course before they say that you know we are all Marxists and all that the idea is that you know i I, I really believe that history is made by Factors and history can be understood as a as a science in the sense that history is pro- is produced by that man. That history is a product of of uh, factors that you know really maybe not even in the so think of it as like you know like the the not to bore the audience lah, but the idea is that. I do not really agree with the great man theory of history. La. Okay. So I, I okay, okay. As a professional historian, yeah, I was you like, know. where is he going yeah. with this? Yeah. I'm, so yeah. I'm trying to say that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the PAP may may trying to, maybe creating its own demise, la, I mm-hmm. want, ironically, because I wanted to illustrate a paradox. I want to encourage people. The second thing I want to talk about is thinking critically mm-hmm. and to identify paradoxes that, will, that are possible in Singapore. So one paradox I've tried to identify is, is this, which I, I don't want to come across as being very... like acting big brain or that, but I, I identify a paradox in the PAP's system of governance, which mm-hmm. is that, does the PAP realise that ironically, by bringing in a lot of foreigners, they the foreigners are not... they are not... they didn't buy in into the PAP's culture of authoritarianism. So the PAP may be digging its own grave because... As there are more and more foreigners that come in into Singapore who are used to political pluralism and destabilizing the internal framework of, be you know just conforming and listening to what Papa knows and all that, then it would in time herald the demise of the PAB. Mm-hmm. So I I want to create a culture where you know I do my part towards creating such a culture where people start to think about these kind of issues like, mm. which is again, as I say, I'm not a foreigner hater mm-hmm. and I'm not a xenophobe. And I, but I just want to delve into all these topics and mm-hmm. to discuss about how, for example, the, the the foreigners are also victims of the PAP's machinations because, mm-hmm. you, you know, at the end of the day, the idea is that they want to, we they want to modify the, the, the structure is such in Singapore that the PAP thinks that it knows everything that is right but history is the ultimate judge and many things in Singapore which the you know the PAP leadership has apologized we have to see the uh, apology for the excess foreigners and also uh, you know the issue and the admission that Singapore had, had for want of a better word caught up the, educa- the, the immigration policy mm-hmm. And which is now in year 2020, in the wake of the virus, mm-hmm. is becoming a very big issue. You know, every day on the news, we see people talking about the foreigners. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: I want to kind of jump in on that, right? Because you, you talk about sort of the, this teleological, historical inevit- uh, inevitability um, of, I don't know, certain conditions, right? And that bringing in foreigners uh, is kind of paradoxical. Uh, on the PAP's part right you know doesn't that mean that it's a good thing right doesn't that mean that bringing in foreigners you know should be something that we it it links back to my first topic which Mm -hmm. is that that you know the link is that a lot of times
2: that it really illustrates the problem with the Papa Knows Best ideology Mm -hmm. if the PAP could commit such a logical fallacy and it could And we can see that, you know, there's a mismanagement of authoritarianism. Then Mm -hmm. do we then conclude that authoritarianism is by itself wrong? Mm -hmm. And bad? because the authoritarian may be confined by imperfect knowledge as well. Mm -hmm. He's not only confined by self-interest. He's also confined by a lack of perspective or a lack of, like like what I term nudeness. Because he only considers his own voice. Mm -hmm. And... He was surrounded by a circle of straw men. Mm -hmm. And that straw man and the people that listened to him and stroke his ego Mm -hmm. compounded the problem of authoritarianism, which Mm -hmm. leads to the final thesis statement, the conclusion that authoritarianism is generally bad.
1: Now, I I I buy that argument, but I want to put yeah. a little bit of pressure on your ideas about immigration and about foreigners, right? Yeah. So I mean, in one of the in in one of the speeches, the memeified speeches of G2020, you yeah. talked about how you know we don't want a Singapore in which foreigners come and get scholarships, and then yeah. the yeah. poor are left to kind of yeah. wither and die. Um, and that could be read as kind of anti-immigrant, uh, kind of xen- xenophobic, right? Yeah. So I want to put some pressure on that because you just said yeah. something along. the the lines of if foreigners come in right it diversifies the ideas they are not as inclined to buy into the PAP system so it sounds like that's an amazing thing
2: no it it isn't an amazing thing because before that would happen in the long run but in the short run in the intermittent period of time Mm -hmm. before that that eventual you know culture of PAP erosion of PAP authoritarianism Mm -hmm. happens there would be a lot it, it goes back to Although we talk about the inherent dignity of man, yes. the, there is a higher duty at the same time to, to people who are of the same country. And, and let me explain why. Let me explain, okay? okay? yeah. Because, you see, it is about like tiers of duty. There is, in the first place, there is a duty, for example, like, let's say to party Liani. The, the justice system cannot treat her unfairly or accuse her of what they, she did not do. So think of it as duty tier like one, but there's a higher order duty towards people of the same country. And that is based on the state's claim to authority and the state's claim to legitimacy. So okay. citizenship, uh, you're saying? citizenship. Yes, citizenship. In that context, the state has a duty. So has a duty towards its own people to ensure that they are not marginalised.
1: So this I, is this, a very similar argument I think to like critical spectators and conservatives who say you know what the migrant worker situation well that's fine because our duty is first and foremost to ourselves. We have to prioritise the citizens and then you know the migrant workers, yeah unfortunate but you know duty to us first right. There's uh, kind of a similar argumentative it, structure here. It, it, uh, at the end of the day right, mm. the structure is not the
2: difference is that, for example, if we talk about the migrant workers and the dorms, mm-hmm. my argument would be that it falls below the, 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 the duty tier one. You see, go back to my analogy that, that to cram them up in that kind of unlivable condition mm-hmm. is already below, is a breach of the baseline human duty. Okay. So we cannot just just, but for example, giving scholarships to foreigners, mm-hmm. that is way above the baseline duty, that is empowering them to get a good education mm-hmm. and all that in ours in Singapore and causing a lot of locals to lose their education, their, their, the, the opportunity that they could have gotten as well. So it's a very, very radically different situation.
1: Okay. So, I mean, okay, but I, I, yeah. I'll, let, me, let me put it to, um, let me just, let's, let's clarify. So we're on the same page here. Yeah. What's your fundamental gripe with immigration? My, my, I have at least four or five fundamental gripes with him. Okay, let's try and, let's condense that. What is the, yeah. yeah, what is the, what are the few, firstly, maybe two or three firstly, major... I yeah. do not
2: agree. I, I first, the first thing is that society is that based on the international, the, the nation state construct, mm. the nation has a paramount duty to its own people first and foremost, just like how the father has to his son, is that a Lim quote? Mm-hmm.
1: And <laughs> okay, but all right, go on. Sorry, and yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. and and the the, mm-hmm. the the you know, the husband's duty is to his own wife. For example, the the you know, if you were to, it's it's just like it's common sense. It's just like for example, a husband's duty is to maintain his own wife under the, the women's charter and to maintain to to you know. The husband's duty is to maintain his own wife. The father, the parents' duty is to maintain his own children All under right. the law, mm-hmm. and the nation's duty is to maintain its own people. It's not the, to to give opportunities to foreigners, and it's not to allow. And the next question then would be that that the PAP likes to raise is that foreigners is usually it is in the interest of the people to bring in foreigners. That that is how the PAP has tried to respond historically. That mm-hmm. that uh you know. Charles is drawing a false dichotomy there because even in 2011, I talked about this topic and and you know the the state was trying to sh- shut me down and and you know of course they would respond and say that oh if all foreigners left left then uh, we will be out of job and all that but I want to draw a very important distinction here we are not mm-hmm. calling for the expulsion of all foreigners mm-hmm. we are calling for a society where Singaporeans are not second-class citizens and where there are concrete efforts made to remove the excess foreigners in Singapore who are not able or willing to assimilate. The key word must be must be able and willing to assimilate and there must be a conscious effort of assimilation and at the same so it's never feel- a bit
1: of a contradiction, though. If they were to assimilate, then they would be buying into the PAP system of brainwashing and love for Papa, love for not the, necessarily because not it's everything. It's the difference, no, that brings that robust dynamism that challenges the way that things have always been done. There are good points that you have raised, but mm-hmm. so you see, you see, not everything that, not everything
2: that a Singaporean is necessarily PAP. Yeah. Not, not, not every, A lot of the Singaporean ideas Were founded And established First in time In terms of their uh, Shall I say um, You know Like the The bedrock Of what, who generated them lah. Like you know Elitism Pragmatism uh, Discriminating against people Is quite uh, Established by the PAP But we have to be Very precise And say that For example Singaporean culture Singaporean food mm-hmm. Singlish yeah. Was all this established by PAB? I don't think so, you know, because mm-hmm. they were... So, we we do not necessarily... I, I mean, really, we do expect that. That's where I would really disagree that okay. we can have assimilation mm-hmm. without them buying in into the PAP model. Mm-hmm. And they need to be able to assimilate in terms of at the, all these bare basics. Like, for example, not demanding that mm-hmm. uh, people speak to them in Mandarin, yeah. not shouting at, uh, you know... Behaving in a very oppressive manner mm-hmm. and generally abiding by the laws and also taking away their approach, which is their, their, their mental framework, which is that, you know, they should be able to, their general tendency towards a lot of behavior yeah. that may not be acceptable in the same way Let me just okay, put it in. Wait,
0: wait, yeah. uh, I, don't you think that this is also a fu- fundamentally then in opposition with your earlier um statement about uh, the fundamental human dignity of all citizens mm-hmm. which because that isn't simply political or economic it's also cultural mm-hmm. and people because where, what you see around the world regrettably is that these arguments about assimilation mm-hmm. then become arguments about conformity and the the destruction of or or maybe destruction is too harsh a word, but a demand that people who are not like you conform to a certain uh, majoritarian idea of uh, culture and identity, Mm -hmm. right? And this, you know, as, as, as Chinese, people who are recognized as Chinese, we have a certain privilege that we see ourselves and our culture as the majority, the default, the Singaporean one, but there are plenty of singaporeans who are born here who are who already struggle with this idea that um you know we we are not sufficiently singaporean because we do not uh, behave or think or act in in ways which are the majority culture mm-hmm. right singaporean you know i, I mean they, so so if you're asking people to come here to assimilate the danger is and we see this all around the world, and, and in fact, France right now, right, is grappling with, with these ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we record this, again, 31st October, there have been two beheadings, and part of the problem is, how much is someone expected to conform to a majoritarian culture that is not their own? Um, who gets to articulate what is Singaporean, what is the culture uh, is it purely because we're in the majority and we have that privilege, right? And is that fair to ask people mm-hmm. to fundamentally change the way they behave just because it's different from us? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we respect their right to, you know, if we agree in the dignity of all human individuals that uh, they should have the right to Maintain and protect their culture mm-hmm. And then with this We haven't even gotten Into the whole argument About what is the, the nation state Right And this is something else I've been talking about The nation mm-hmm. state is artificial It is invented It is imagined mm-hmm. The nation there is, there is no Singaporean nation In objective reality It is collectively imagined But the, the, the big problem In the world today Is that the people Imagine the nation In ways which discriminate and um, actively suppress minorities or, or deliberately exclude people from that nation, and the line you're walking here you know is 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 very dangerous, right as to when you talk about a certain conception of the nation um, and people wanting to be a part of it. So I think you also need to distinguish between the nation and the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Someone who is part of a nation and someone who is a citizen and has certain civic rights, versus someone who is somehow part of a broader identity, because we can't impose that identity on people. Mm. I
2: I I really want to. Okay, first of all, I think the issue you have raised can be addressed by a issue by explaining the hierarchy of rights. For avoidance of doubt, I do yeah. not agree with, for example, cramming the migrant workers into certain in a in unlivable condition. Yeah, so right? I think we all we'll agree that uh, it's all, like human assess just, yeah. To justice for party Diani, Like yeah. convicting yeah. her. So we again I want to go back to that point earlier where I raised that that there is a baseline hierarchy of rights which I agree which is why I really respect Jonathan and I often you know repose a lot of his content because I, I feel that this threshold of rights has in fact been breached. Human rights, keyword is human, human rights, like for example, has been breached in the case of Singapore due to hypercapitalism. You know, I agree, I agree. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the society has done them a wrong. Okay, full stop. Mm -hmm. But at the end of, but then when we move on to the issue of who is required to assimilate and does the majority have a right to impose? Mm -hmm. My, my humble, you know, my, my point of view to you, my submission is that Yes, there is a right because it's just like, for example, in the society that we live in, where sixty percent continue to vote for a very authoritarian party. Do we, we at the end of the day, if the party were to use the law to persecute you and me, we we just have to we have we still have to rest the idea of respect, which you you just pointed out, in itself suggests that we have to respect the right of the sixty percent who voted for for I, okay I, I mean to, to contextualize this further I'm, I'm sure PJU did not vote for the PAV right no, I, I mean yes, I, yes I've never voted yeah, for PAV neither yeah. have I but at the same at the end of the day you see if you talk about clearly to your answer head on I mean I would very rarely disagree with you but the answer must be yes the majority have a right to require the, the minority to conform within the certain bar because within a certain requirement, because they are the majority and our only recourse against them would be perhaps, you know, we can criticize them, but we cannot, we cannot, by the virtue of the fact that the society is, con- that the the current international order is, is composed of nation states, mm-hmm. the nation has a requ- has a right, I, I'm going to make two propositions. First proposition okay. is nature, nation has a right mm-hmm. to require people who come in to conform to that set of norms. Second sentence would be that it is also in the best interest of both the immigrant and the general social fabric that the immigrant does in fact conform to that set of behavioral
0: norms. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, you, but, by your argument, right, you're saying, you, you, you do you see the, the line here? If a majority has the right to uh, ask the minority to conform mm-hmm. in many crucial ways you and I are the minority that 60% yes and we PAP can say look 60% backed us therefore the other 40% you must conform mm-hmm. right or and assimilate we, right? yes yeah. and assimilate <laughs> so we haven't even gotten the question immigrants mm-hmm. yet it's about the rights of minority mm-hmm. and that is a you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Few points I would like yeah, to make okay, You see okay, first I of all address that first, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's
2: talk about numerically mm-hmm. As both of you have already said 60-40 In that sense We are It's very different From the proportion of foreigners What I mean the, and, uh, Of course foreigners Is co- quite approaching Almost 40% But It goes back to the idea That what is the nation I, I have no issue with with For example PJ what you said earlier I do not disagree that That we Ideally we should You know move towards a society that humanity is really uh treating each other as universal brothers you know and and the the, the point that you said earlier that you talk about how it's an artificial construct i Mm -hmm. i'm not minded i don't totally disagree but i'm saying that for all practical for all intents and purposes right Mm -hmm. we are still currently living in a in a world which is demarcated by nation states Mm -hmm. and therefore do we have a legitimate right as citizens to demand that we are given priority for jobs or that the government does not deviate from the international consensus, which is generally to only bring in foreigners in the case of a unique skill set mm-hmm. rather than being willing to do for less. Because Singapore is a society that has really allowed rampant immigration on the grounds of doing for less. So do rather than unique skill set, like in many other countries, mm-hmm. it's difficult to enter.
1: Yeah. Only a person, it's difficult. So I want to try and talk to you on a sort of theoretical level, maybe on a more philosophical level, right? Um, You know, isn't it a little bit, um, isn't it a little bit contradictory to the Socratic model, right? You know, I mean, you've read the dialogues, right? There's the discussion, there's the difference, the difference of ideas between Plato and the Sophists, right? The kind of plurality, which you just said was very important, right? You mentioned reading LKY and LKY has this love of homogeneity, this love of everything coming together. I think what I'm trying to get at here is that, isn't the principle of plurality and preserving the difference of the other, preserving the robust and different and often challenging and unique views of different people and different cultures, more important, doesn't that supersede any Uh, you know, considerations. On this point I I mean I agree in the sense that we must still
2: preserve their difference and we but that is the point on without recourse to an assimilation. That is point that is the point on this course. But my point is on firstly before we even go to the assimilation point, my Mm -hmm. point is about economic advantageous and economic
1: opportunities. Doesn't that bring us into pragmatics? Exactly. <laughs>
0: economic? You're saying, you know, the nation state is the current default, you know, uh, system that is being pragmatic rather mm-hmm. than aspiring towards a higher ideal, right? And... I, I know, do not, sir, I, I really do not yeah. think, in fact, for me, this is not pragmatism because this is,
2: in fact, it relates to the, what is the right of the person yeah. who yeah. has come, because, for example, everyone, you see, stands to each other in different capacities. Mm-hmm. For example, my, my duty and my rights vis-a-vis you, Mr. PJ, versus, like, for example, towards my girlfriend or towards my paralegal or different people, we all stand in different capacities. And my point is a very simple point, which is that when we, when a person signs up to be a citizen, he mm-hmm. has the right to expect. The very fact that the construct of a citizen exists means that he can expect yep. more. He also has to give more. Mm-hmm. And the distinction is there for a reason.
1: So I just want to put it this way. Many times, these kind of relations, you're saying these kinds of duties that come with certain roles have been very misinformed. For example, less than 70, 80 years ago, a man could expect his wife to give him sex. A man had a duty to pay for everything that the woman owned, right? A father had a duty and a right to beat the child and of course we know now that some of these relationships and some of these roles and the duties that they entail are kind of poorly understood and I think it's the same one here you know, to say that you know, we are the first class foreigner second class this is the tight nation state this is the role, right? I think it's quite similar no, in that sometimes the roles and duties are poorly uh, understood we don't have to be boxed into it You see, again to to clarify, right? Mm-hmm. We are. I'm not saying
2: again that, for example, the foreigners should be given a very low wage, mm-hmm. or the foreigners should be be for for avoidance. Oh, of I'm love, not saying you see, that, you are. Like, I'm yeah. contesting the idea that we. I'm, that, I'm that, saying that, 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 come that come first. for me, it's very. To me, I I I mean, really, of course, that's the beauty of the discussion. That mm-hmm. is why I'm here today, and to, to also, and I think that it's very good that this discussion goes out because it will refute, uh, you know, the typical PAP narrative that we all agree and all that. But, <laughs> 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 yeah, so, but but then anyway, putting this aside, I I really am a very firm believer that the the person in his own society should come first, mm-hmm. and I want to point out that this. It's logically coherent in my model because mm. I'm not anti-foreigner for the sake of being anti-foreigner mm-hmm. or feel that foreigners should be second, they should be second-class citizens in Singapore, but they can return to their own locality mm-hmm. and there they should be first. So my point of view is that everyone should be a first-class citizen in his own locality and everyone, the the, the government of the area has a as the highest order duty towards people who are citizens. Okay.
0: Okay, okay. I, I, but do, do I, you yeah. see where I'm coming from in that that then gives power to the people who govern that locality, that identity, who have the you know power and influence over the definition of the nation, nationality. That then gives them the power mm. to discriminate. Yeah. If we do not establish this idea that all human beings should be treated mm. on the basis of, you know, dignity and human rights. But instead, we start down a a path where we say it is okay to discriminate if you are of a certain citizenship or locality and other people aren't. Well, then that's exactly why the Singapore, the PAP government tries to tar tar me as a Mm -hmm. traitor and foreign, right? Because then it can put me in this category of, oh, he is not deserving of that citizenship. He Mm -hmm. is not deserving of the rights of citizenship. Indeed, he is. Anti that citizenship yeah. And therefore a traitor And therefore we Have All the rights To discriminate against mm. him You see okay, you sh- sh- l- yeah. Let me clarify yeah. Let me clarify mm-hmm. You see you re- Really You, you see uh, the, the point is that First of all
2: The, 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 the point I, I see where you're going mm-hmm. And my, my response is that You know We want to To We First of all The idea of what is Mm-hmm. a nation's identity is in flux at any point in time. So, my point is that it must not differ too much from, in, in my worldview, your concern would be adequately addressed because the PAP is trying to put forward its own va- variant, its own notion of what the Singaporean ideology is. But there is no consensus. I mean, there are very clear segment of people like, you know, my followers, uh, the which, of course, if they are not that substantial. But overall, it has been established that at least 40% categorically rejected the BAP. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't accept that you and Kirsten are foreign influence. Mm -hmm. So that, so we must draw the distinction between, between what I term wrongful labeling and right, and, and, you know, labeling that is for
0: all intents and purposes, accurate because... Okay, it, okay but who yeah. gets to determine those labels the, the, though? The, the,
2: ma- the majority, which is itself in a state of flux.
0: The okay, ma- Charles, ma- Charles, I, I want to
1: kind of get you, you know, yeah. I think it's in the interest of fairness, I want to kind of give you the last word here. So okay. just yeah. just sum up, I think. The, 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 in, the, the, to sum yeah. up, to mm-hmm. sum up, mm-hmm. PJ has raised many valid
2: points. Mm-hmm. I agree with him. Mm-hmm. But I would address PJ's consensus by saying that, for example, anyone who has half a brain knows that PJ and Kirsten using them as the two examples have are born and bred Singaporeans mm-hmm. and are fully Singaporean in their ethos and their ideas okay. and want to they come in a long line of people that want to make Singapore a better society so I mean really uh, we, we we shall shall move on from this topic because it's a bit yeah. la, but yeah. the <laughs> idea is that you <laughs> see at the end of the yeah. day we look at PJ's motivation and, and under even based on the the test that I have, you know, I've, I've, I've argued and all that, right? We must not conflate the PAP's critique of people like PJ and saying that he's a traitor with legitimate opposition towards foreigners because in PJ's context, he satisfies the vast majority of the tests I've articulated for what is a Singaporean What? Because I, even, have you know, I have privilege. I have privilege.
0: But if I were, had, you know, spoke with a, a different accent, had a different color skin, had mm. a different religion... Right. And if I just happened to have been born somewhere else and then came here at a young age, um would I have, you know I would be I could be exactly the same in terms of what I'm doing and saying, but I would be treated so differently. Mm-hmm. You know there has to be a yeah. certain. I I know Very we going to fair, give you the last word. So yeah, I'm just saying last word last, but yeah, but so last, word, last yeah. word because yeah. you yeah. you were
1: in the middle of making a point there. You yeah. said that yeah. there's a distinction, so I want to let you finish that that point a- before anyway, we move anyway, on. Anyway, guys, just to yeah. to finish
2: this point, mm-hmm. I may not be right, and to be honest, um, you know. I I just want to invite you, the viewer, keeping in mind, you know, the the Socratic dialogue or this kind of principles. You mm-hmm. can consider the views of Sean and PJ. And you can also consider my views, and I hope that we we you know you just you make the decision decision now. Because to me, honestly, I I will not belabor this point further. And I mm-hmm. think that in the context of many other issues that we want to discuss, this is not the most important. It's not really the most important. the The most important is really the lack of a lot of safeguards in Singapore, which also affects the <laughs> it 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 affects the the foreigners as, as well. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. yeah okay, so we're going to have there. to
1: sort of agree to disagree there yeah. but I, I do of want to get into something, you know, that's going to be a little less contentious and that's your theory of change. How do you think it's going to happen? How do you think it should happen? You mentioned earlier that you're kind of a determinist. You kind of think yeah. that that is a historical necessity that we yeah. end up somewhere and that's quite an orthodox Marxist point of view. Do you, does your theory of change kind of follow that trajectory it, of it, thought it, as well? It really does. La. Okay.
2: My my point of view is to articulate it simply uh, for for those who do not know, I, I'm sure that the, the viewers of PJ's videos are generally quite educated people. La, so they, I will not explain what what uh, determinism means. But the, my ideas, but simply put, I believe that in a, to go back to my analogy earlier, in a authoritarianism generally tends towards failure because the authoritarian may be either incompetent, or he may act out of self interest. Mm-hmm. Either or is quite likely. Mm-hmm. So, in a situation that there is incompetence, the person below him will feel very angry, mm-hmm. as they feel angry and as they feel angrier, the one at the top will try to increase the grip, and. As the person increases the grip, then the one below would react even more. Mm -hmm. In that sense, we see that a lot of tyrannical, you know, regimes throughout history have never lasted for very long and Mm -hmm. eventually they they will fall. So, my theory of change is that it has to be catalyzed. Keyword is catalyzed by people who speak up, Mm -hmm. but would still occur in time because we see that Singapore as a. And I want to leave you guys with a quote from, ironically, Lee Kuan Yew, who founded Singapore, in, in, made Singapore in his image, as according to the PAP narrative. And do you guys know that Lee Kuan Yew said a number of times in interviews that Singapore is a historical aberration and that many small states have not managed to survive more than, than you know, he, he did not believe that Singapore would be around in 200 years. And you look at his demeanour and you look at his interview and you look at the things he said and you see that he actually knows that it, it will be difficult for people who come after him to maintain that iron grip on Singapore. So we want to be objective you see, again, as I say, we are not here to engage in Lee bashing all mm. the time or to bash him incoherently. We have to give him some due credit for his achievements. And we have to point out that Lee, in fact, in a lot of his writings and teachings was a very well aware that it would be difficult. And to a certain extent, of course he didn't use the word historical inevitability, la, but mm-hmm. he knows that it is very difficult. I do not know if technology was one of the reasons why he said what he said, la, like he was aware that technology will make it harder for the PAP to control and for authoritarianism to be very viable. Mm-hmm. But I would submit that this is one of the factors mm-hmm. which have to be considered as well, uh, the technology change and all that. But minus this factor, if we look at the historical trend, usually um, um, the reason why a lot of all these authoritarian structures and hyper-capitalist structures will, will dissipate after some time is because they are too oppressive and the people who are below start to fight amongst themselves and and start to feel very peaceful. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the idea is that it is really not cutting a fair share of the pie, which B it, B is also trying to touch on this topic. If you look at a lot of the points raised on the B in, in recent years, they are starting to try to position themselves as working towards a more equitable society. La. To answer your point is yep. really my theory of change is that it has to be founded by these values but the values that I've raised earlier like you know not allowing the top to make all the decisions mm-hmm. recognising that the top has may always may be trying to think for itself may, may, be, may, may not be thinking in your bona fide best interest and mm-hmm. all that and then also recognising that the, the top can only be adequately checked and society can only adequately progress by mm-hmm. a pluralist polarity of voices mm-hmm. and finally to submit that the process of of change the theory of change may occur and has been occurring organically that is where i want to submit that if you look at the but of course not fast enough like okay. you pointed out earlier mm-hmm. that's why i i i'm still quite cautiously mm-hmm. pessimistic okay I, i'm not i'm not deluded and think that that this change will occur mm-hmm.
1: I want to put a little bit of pressure on this idea of uh, inevitability or determinism that things will naturally kind of turn out a certain way, right? the the standard criticism of this is that it tends to take away agency or impetus from people or activists right because if everything is just naturally going to fall apart then why don't we just sit back drink pina coladas and watch the authoritarian state burn to the ground right so i kind of want to know how you square that with your own activism because you know in a sense you believe to somewhat i guess contradictory things so one on one hand capitalism, authoritarianism, doomed to fail. But on the other hand, through your speeches, you show this never give up, never say die, give 120% kind of attitude. So how do you square the two of them? the, The way I square the two of them is that we still need to do it because it is our
2: responsibility, our moral responsibility, and it is how we are discharging our duty towards the... In a sense, I think of it as firstly a duty imposed on me based on my privilege because I am conscious and aware uh, agreed with what PJ has pointed out that you know I would still fall squarely within even based on my writings you know the my discussion of the various tiers of hierarchy in Singapore mm-hmm. and all that I would still fall at the upper echelon of Singapore society like, I'm honestly mm-hmm. I'm quite honest because I will not lie and say but at the end of the day I also want to, sh- to say that I view it at least for me uh, despite where I'm I, I whatever has or my background or whatever, I have done my best to mm-hmm. try to make Singapore a fairer society. And I look at it as, it's also not purely altruistic because I feel happy. I feel happy doing all this. Mm-hmm. So I will still do it. And, and it, it, it is not necessary, right? yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily just fulfilling. Okay. What I feel it's a both morally and imperative to me. Plus it's also fulfilling mm-hmm. because, because I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel good like when I... Like o- honestly speaking, I mean, it sounds weird, la, but like I feel good when I watch like a lot of content put up by Terry over the years, by mm-hmm. yourself. And then I feel, I feel that even without the fundamental grounding that, you know, what the baby is doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I also en- 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 enjoy this kind of discussion la, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel that like no hard feelings and I feel that I have learned and can ruminate about this. So in a way...
1: I feel that it's quite good. Lah. Mm. Yeah. Now, if you could just quickly kind of tell us, all right, what's one major structural systemic thing that you want to see changed in the next 15, 20 years and one major cultural or ideological change that you'd like to see as well? What would they be? The cultural and ideological point of view would be that I do
2: not, I hope that Singaporeans can start thinking for themselves and stop thinking that the one on top has all the answers. Mm. I also would like to see a culture in Singapore where people start to glorify taking ownership and thinking out of the box and realizing that that is the only way to really progress. Mm-hmm. That is the answer. Okay. You know? And I feel that we don't have to, I also want to create a culture of uh, been able to consider because for example the, the points that your good self and uh, PJ have raised I will go home and think about them mm-hmm. and I will I will of course they i, I give them consideration because and, and I, at the same time I hope that you guys will also consider uh, whatever points of view and at the end of the day we really in all, I believe that in the best interest of Singapore in order to progress forward uh, there, there must be a culture of think, independent thinking if mm-hmm. not uh, the societies we are a lot of the, the progress that so-called occurred right is going to become harder and harder to replicate mm-hmm. and in fact the cutting edge of Singaporean will be lost which which is not a point that mm-hmm. only I have raised uh. yeah. in fact mm-hmm. the vast majority of the senior leadership of all political opposition political parties in Singapore have raised this most recently hazel for of the P.S.P. in a speech because she talked about the low critical thinking ability of Singaporeans in her maiden N.C.M.P. speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. So does that then also uh, inform your your answer about the structural issue? Because uh, it's not, uh, it's very hard to 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 you know say whether Singaporeans are able to think independently and critically because. Uh, even if we were, there are massive structural issues which prevent us from doing so. So cool. I'm I'm always very hesitant to say Singaporeans, you know, uh, to to generalise in this in this blanket way in a, you know and negatively about Singaporeans. I think we can. For me, it's more about the structures and incentives that prevent us and severely discourage us from thinking independently. But mm. I think we have the capacity to do so, right? But the, the problem is you can't prove it either way until you remove those structures and then see what happens. So, mm. so is this also your answer to the structural question?
2: Yes, because a powerful, for example, I, I mean, again, it's not, not to really to, to flatter PJ or anything, but... A, a powerful speech was given by P. J. recently at the PSP's first anniversary, the the anniversary dinner, where he talked about yeah. the alternative. He in in the speech, P. J. stated a point which I fully agree with that and called upon all opposition parties in Singapore to state and to identify a coherent counter ideology to what the PAP has been proposing. And further, P. J. stated that the party could not attract any uh, no, uh, su- sufficiently uh, number of qualified persons or support generally if the party was not to uh, uh, articulate such a, mm-hmm. a, a, a ideology like yeah la, yeah my uh, argument
0: was you know until you articulate a, a coherent ideology then people won't vote for you they're just voting against the PAP yeah right?
2: my, so. my, my, my I agree with the, the vast majority of what uh, PJ said, which is definitely uncontroversial and in fact, very important. But I also wanted to state for the record that it is important to know that without knowing what is right, we, we can know what is wrong, first of all, and how things have gone wrong. For example... Uh, we don't need to study the ontological ethics or study or even know what the Kantian categorical imperative is or to really understand ethical ethics to know that to rape your own sister is wrong. You see, that's my point. My point is that, for example, a person that goes into, he may not know how to cook or may not know how to make a very good strawberry cheesecake, but I can know that the strawberry cheesecake that you make has really gone bad. This kind of thing, that's why I wanted to say that a vote for the, against the PAP based on the notion of democracy, is not an illegitimate vote prima facie. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a vote against the PAB. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, throughout the history of Singapore has been a substantial... And, and to share further, you know, I, I just wanted to say that whilst the speech was really a very powerful speech by, by by PJ and I really shared it extensively among my friends, I also wanted to point out that even during the formative period of Lee Kuan Yew's time, right? Mm-hmm the the so called socialist democratic socialist ideology which was often you know like a lot of all the speeches that were put out in the campaign materials by Lee during that time it was also not well articulated or very very concrete in any way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the vote for for Lee's party based on really Lee's own historical uh, in, in I mean narrative like how he got the you know the famous uh you know uh British barrister to argue in the Fajah case.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, he didn't he didn't do that. Okay, that's uh, a yeah. a myth that Lee himself put out. He didn't yeah. arrange uh for yeah. uh Prit to come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. that was arranged. Uh, y- you can read Doctor the Sukai's book. Yeah, Poh was one of the defendants, right? But it wasn't yeah. Lee who arranged it. Yeah, but but, yeah. but
2: anyway, my my point is that that uh. Whether or not uh, Dennis Pritt was was brought by, by Lee himself, my point of view is that Lee somehow managed to link himself to that, and at the end of the day, a vote for Lee should be understood understood less as a vote for Lee in that time, but more as a vote against colonialism. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, I take the point. We're trying to
2: say that yeah. you know, mm-hmm. really, even without. Articulating a coherent ideology, mm-hmm. I believe that the num- the percentage of votes against the PAP would continue to increase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But however, it would be optimal to be able to articulate a coherent ideology in order to, in terms of the spectrum of uh, diffusion, you know, the, the innovation, spectrum of innovation. La. Mm-hmm. If we want to get to critical majority, yeah. then do we need to to Able, in order to really uh, change the system, mm-hmm. do we need to come forward? And and that is where I was really motivated by the video. I, I think we will give more thought about this. Mm-hmm. And we need to implement research groups and working groups. Yeah. And we need to get input from all stakeholders and yep. not talk mm-hmm. out of our own ass. And we also need to think about very concrete and nitty-gritty issues, which goes back to one of the points you raised, like municipal issues. Okay, Because, like, for example, like, um for some issues without the advantage of sufficient research or we which are what I term municipal versus a national issues we may need to do further research and and be careful what we say mm. In order to ensure that our credibility does not become low, yeah. that, that's right. what I'm trying to. to
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I take I, I take the point, which is let's not have double standards about yeah. you know the opposition must achieve X, Y, Z and yeah. more before we give them the vote. Right. right of course. And of course. I take as well PJ's yeah. point, uh, which I think is like a very important reminder that really yeah. the opposition can we we can do better as yeah. an opposition. We can come up with a solid, coherent ideological system. Right. Yeah. A finished package product right but anyway that's the point I want to kind of just wrap it up by throwing you a very last question and that's a question I think um, for everybody out there that's interested in joining politics or at least has ever thought of it right what are some pieces of advice that you can give to somebody who's thinking about joining politics getting involved or maybe even running as a candidate yeah I mean you did it my, at a very my, young my first, age yeah oh, mm-hmm. I I'm sure you will agree that we have that you have to
2: consider and think deeply because the repression in Singapore is very real. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you have low following, they may go after you and they may use the law against you. And I also want to urge you to, to because on a human level, I hope that you know what you sign up for to mm-hmm. be very honest. And I hope you can do some research about how they have persecuted people since the time of Dr. Po Kai mm-hmm. Chia Tai Po and all that. Like, I mean, the list goes, Or you know, offhand now I can state more than twenty-five to thirty people that mm. have been persecuted
0: in some way or another. Yeah, I mean, and we have a list of two thousand five hundred people on the Function Eight website. Mm. So yeah,
2: and and, and yeah. that is why you know he's a professional. I'm not like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <in> the sense <laughs> that I'm just someone that is trying. But at the end of it, but bit, it takes all sorts. Is yeah. is, is, is your point, right? Yeah. It's
0: not. You don't have to do it my way. You can do it your way. You yeah. can do it Sean's way. So we're just curious about, you yeah. know, your Fun- advice. Function 8
2: website. It's, it's just to speak very briefly, I mean related to this point the Function 8 website is a very powerful illustration of how there have been so many people that are persecuted throughout the history and of course for the majority of them the supporters of the establishment would say that the persecution was non-brutal in nature and mm-hmm. it was something similar to tanks or Gopala Naya's kind of uh, persecution mm-hmm. la, or th- whereby the person was forced uh, abroad but Putting aside that There's a lot of mental stress And all that generally So My point is that Usually the people Who dare to do all this They really love the nation If not Mm. They are not going to do all this Because You must think like What is it There in them And the truth is that The majority of them Did not obtain a single cent And in fact Lost a hell lot of money Out of doing all this And suffered a lot of Financial deprivation. Mm-hmm. You see, because I, I say financial because I don't want to be poor man and say because physical hardship was only really borne by lesser number of people and also during a period of time like until night, like like there is no very f- difficult. It's di- difficult to document mm-hmm. brutality by the state against opposition politicians.
0: Well, I mean, uh, actually, no. It's it's well established that they were tortured. Uh, and, you know, in ways that meet the Geneva Convention. Uh, yes, yes. But, but my my point was
2: that not from, it's like from the 1990s onwards, no opposition politicians were, were detained lah. so far. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. yeah, 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 yeah. They, Okay, but using, that's,
1: yeah. that's sort of the okay, point one, yeah. right? Yeah, so point like, one. Yeah. So, so so, it, is, it is tough. It is mentally tough, training. So be point, mentally prepared for that. Would yeah. be,
2: point two would be that I hope you you should also think about the party that you join Mm -hmm. and reference PJ's, uh, you know, really the the, the point that was raised earlier, which is is that think about what the party means to you and what you can contribute to that party. In that sense, joining a party is not different at all from getting a training contract or or joining a, a company. You must think first, like, what are you able to contribute to the party and what are your skill sets and be ready to serve the party. And don't think that, you know, you join for benefits like free legal advice mm-hmm. from the, the, like, you know, or, or ask for benefits or to join for politicking in, by nature. Because at the end of the day, what will you get from the whole thing is that, you know, oh, when you walk around, people will recognize you. But mm-hmm. actually, it's nothing much. Because mm-hmm. you may also, my, my point is that, you know, try to, Make some positive difference, and do not be afraid to put forward your ideas, mm-hmm. ideas, and try to stay positive about the whole thing. And know that you are doing something good in the sense of like, like filling up a, a well. Like in the sense, mm-hmm. you are really it, it will take very long, but I I feel that you know you are doing something good. So I want to encourage all of you, and I think it's very good that you should. You may want to consider volunteering. Or, or even if you are afraid to to come forward as a formal member of the party, I think you can start by engaging more with members of the the party and not necessarily being a card carrying member first of all, mm-hmm. but try to do some humanitarian work under the party's auspices. And and in fact, that goes to me. The final point I want to conclude is that I'm not a rabid anti-PAB basher all the time because. There is a lot of good work done by, by people who are part of the PAP, even if, but they may be ignorant or uninformed. And, they, and the, the, the wrong agenda of the PAP or the very elitist and hard and cruel agenda of the PAP does not necessarily make all members of the PAP aware uh, the, the, the same way. And so you can start by just joining the political party and understanding the inner workings of the party and then if you don't like it you just move on and then Mm -hmm. you may and and really try to experiment and understand and take a conscious interest Mm -hmm. in the politics of Singapore society because really that is the nation that we are growing up in Mm. and that we are living in and we all have a responsibility towards the civic duties you know like we really have a responsibility to take part in mm. shaping our own society, and and if not uh, then don't complain that the society is not what you you see. That that's the final part of that to end off because I really think this is the last thing I would say like, I I really felt very sad whenever a lot of people complain and complain, but then they felt fearful to. They would complain about how they got no job or they're, how they are marginalized by foreigners, and then they complain about how they don't cannot speak up and then all that, but then. They don't want to do anything concrete to really come forward and and try. So in the sense, sometimes I really have to echo the views of my SG. Though, that where he said that Singaporeans get the government that they deserve. Uh. Like, uh, That's why I tell you, at the end of the day, you, you guys may laugh, uh, but, but I really enjoyed being in a reform party despite all the things that happened because I generally really agree with uh, a lot of the, the views of the SG like Mm -hmm. what he says and what he does. And I hope that you guys can similarly find such a political party and work your way up. That's all.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for coming on, Charles. Um, May not agree on everything, but that was definitely insightful. And I think sound advice as well for anybody looking to get into the field of politics running as a candidate. Um, So yeah, I think that was a
0: fun sesh. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank you so much, Charles. It is, uh, you know, it's always difficult to put yourself out there and to let yourself be challenged on your views, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I have a lot of respect for you that you're willing to come and really have a very frank and robust discussion about those views. And at the end of the day, we can disagree, but I think we all agree that this sort of discussion is really important for the political process in Singapore, for any political process, right? You need to be able to speak freely and argue and debate and uh, I'm really glad that uh, you're, you're willing to come here. And uh, I hope that uh, more politicians will come. I'll definitely invite um, more politicians from all the parties to come here and hopefully they will um, you know, follow your example and be willing to come and, and debate over their views. Uh-huh. So I want to thank you uh, for you know, um, your activism, for your courage. You know, uh-huh. It's not easy doing what you do, definitely. There's a lot of uh, opprobrium. There's a lot of attacks, Mm. even mockery, right? But the fact is you are trying to make a difference uh, for Singapore in ways that you really believe in. And that is definitely something that has to be very respected and which is something everyone should be doing. So thank Mm -hmm.
2: you. Thank you so much
0: so and always thank you Sean for co-hosting excellent questions as always um, thanks so much for having whole me on the philosophical angle I thought it was great yeah you know, I mean it, yeah. Was a,
1: it was a real delight it was a real pleasure because you know on, on the social media front on the Wake Up Singapore front right I mean Charles is doing some very interesting things oh, right yeah. live streams things like that yeah. using and leveraging uh, Instagram so I mean I'm really glad I got to meet like the man the myth the legend the social <laughs> media expert who has sort of captured our attention so I mean yeah it's been very insightful right a very polemic character and I'm really glad that this happened
0: okay all the best to you Charles and uh, thank you to all of you for tuning in as always Uh, do check out uh, other stories from Southeast Asia on newnarrative.com check out our sister podcast Southeast Asia Dispatches, for more news interviews and commentary from around Southeast Asia And if you enjoyed this and would love to see us do more of this, we really do need your support. So please do support New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join or donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. So thank you very much, everyone. See you next time.